Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution at zeniumhr.com. Well, in the last 15 to 20 years, positive psychology has confirmed that the most rewarding part of work is contributing to something bigger than yourself. We all need purpose. We know that. It fulfills us. It engages us. And my guest today, B. Bocalandro, she's the author of Do Good at Work, and she talks about how purpose is our greatest driver and why social purpose is the key to engaging people, building our communities. And she makes the case that social purpose and contributing to something bigger than ourselves, a societal cause, community cause, whatever it may be, it could be an organizational or business cause, something that's bigger than ourselves is what's needed to engage us, make us happier. You're going to really enjoy this conversation. B was fantastic and I really loved the conversation. So hope you enjoy. Reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. Love connecting with you there. And thank you to those that are giving us the five-star ratings and reviews. That's how people find this podcast. So if you're getting a lot of value from this, best thing you can do, forward this to a colleague or friend or somebody who can get value from this podcast or give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show. Thanks again. And we'll talk to you next week. It is a pleasure to have you on Transforming Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. It's totally my pleasure, Brandon. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Well, you wrote a great book. It's called Do Good at Work, How Simple Acts of Social Purpose Drive Success and Well-Being. Let's start with this. Your father once told you what the best part of work is, and I think he was kind of egging you on a little bit. What did he say? What was the best part? Yeah, my dad, he had a lot of fun with us and he kind of spoke in parables, but I think to encourage us to do our own thinking. But he basically said, you know, honey, you're going to have to learn to listen beyond the clamor of your wants for the whisper of the world's needs. What he was really saying was the best part of work is contribution. And he's been, of course, backed up. <laughs> by lots of positive psychology. He said this many years ago. In the last 15 to 20 years, positive psychology has basically said, yep, Papi was right. <laughs> that That is the most rewarding part of work for people is contribution. So with that said, and this is going to be a sweeping generalization, but do you feel like people are generally fulfilled and satisfied with their work? Oh, no, no. <laughs> is it because of the contribution that it's just not there? Yeah, I think that that's the most important missing element in work. And what I mean by important, it's the highest and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy that's missing. So that is the very top of Maslow's hierarchy of need, even if you update it for all the recent research. I mean, he called it self-transcendence, but it's doing something beyond for your own uh, enrichment or for your own ego or just beyond yourself. There are lots of things missing in work. And 
And there's lots of great conversations on your podcast about it. And I encourage others to listen to it. Things like flexibility, autonomy, all sorts of things missing in a lot of work out there. But if you're going to put the elements that make work fulfilling and sustainable and fun and all those things, the very top need is contribution. It's feeling like sitting down on Friday and going, wow, my work week mattered because I made a meaningful contribution to someone else or to a societal cause. And we know from research when I said, oh, no, I mean, we we know from research, you know, from globally, only 15 percent of employees are highly engaged. And we know that if you're not engaged, that you're not fulfilled and you're probably not satisfied with work either. So and then there are surveys on whether people actually find their work meaningful. And in pretty much all of them, the majority of employees say no. My work is not fulfilling. It's not meaningful. It's a transaction so that then I can have a life outside of work. That's how work shows up for the majority of people, sadly, very sadly. Right. What I'm struggling to understand, I mean, especially this could just be recency bias, but it seems like, you know, with the whatever you want to call it, a great reshuffle, great resignation, like a lot of people are leaving work. And I don't know if it's because they're unfulfilled. Or, I mean, I've heard it's compensation, perks and benefits and all that. So they're leaving for more money. At least that's the narrative. When it comes to compensation, is that fulfilling to people? Give me kind of a breakdown of those two things, the social purpose, passion versus comp. Right. So we know, for example, Edelman did research that came out in late 2021, the main reasons people leave, and they put it in three buckets. So one is compensation, perks, that sort of thing. The other is lifestyle. So I don't want to commute, things like that. And the third is purpose. Purpose is the number one reason people are leaving their jobs. This has been happening for a long time. It's been climbing up and up and up and up, but they all matter. And what I would say about compensation is we make decisions based on compensation. And so we will take a job based on compensation, we will maybe extend our stay with an employer based on compensation. Like, no, 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 don't leave. We'll give you another 15%. But the problem with compensation is that it can't affect us deeply. It's just skin deep. And so it doesn't keep you at the job. And if you talk to HR people that focus on compensation, they will tell you that. They were like, if we give someone a raise to have them stay, they will stay for three months, but not longer. And it also won't motivate you. So your engagement is not going to go up. You might stay in a place to collect that paycheck, but your behavior is not going to be any more positive. Now, there's a few exceptions to this. One is that it can be positive short term. And when I mean short term, very short term, like the research shows like one week, if you're incentivizing people with a bonus, it's just a matter of days. It's not, I don't mean short term one year. And then the other is that if you are at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of need, which unfortunately, even in the US, we have people that at least feel they're there and you don't feel that you're secure with food, with shelter, with paying your utilities, with your basic needs, it is true that if you're there, greater compensation might motivate you to work harder. So in other words, at that level, if that's what you're facing when you wake up in the morning and you're like, if I do this really well, I'll get that 15% bonus. 
that will motivate you to do the job better. And especially if the job requires essentially no cognitive skills, like if it's just, you know, filling envelopes or something like that. So there are a few exceptions where compensation can work. Those are the big three, like very short term, if you're struggling for basic needs and if the job is really completely unskilled, like really unskilled, like things like customer service or, you know, being a cashier, none of those, you, you need skills for those. I mean, this is like really like robotic jobs then compensation can bring out a better version of that employee. But that's a very small percentage of people, thankfully, that are in those situations. So for the vast majority of people, it's not going to change your behavior. You make a decision based on it, but you're not going to act any differently and you're certainly not going to be any happier. Okay, you've, you've opened up my mind quite a bit. So it sounds like money marginally can make a difference, if, if, if at all. Um, and it's a short-term win. So if, if somebody's struggling for talent, uh, maybe stay bonuses might help keep them for a couple of weeks at best uh, before they're unfulfilled again. So if we're, if we're saying that compensation benefits barely move the needle, what, what does? Purpose. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, in my book, I have kind of the updated Maslow's hierarchy of, of motivation. So basically at the bottom is the basic needs rarely motivate, um, which is, you know, compensation and, you know, perks, that sort of stuff. You know, I could see like if somebody's really struggling to put food on the table and they're just, they're scraping by in life, the compensation would matter, but you're describing it for a small percentage of people, right? Correct. And then a better motivator. So now you're going from really bad fuel to like medium good fuel, are three, there's three things in the mid-level. So those are passion, people, and progress. And so that is, I love doing this. That will motivate you to do it more, to do it better, to do it longer. People is, I love the people I work with. And progress is, I want to learn how to be like the best programmer possible. And so it's like personal progress and progress can also be, I want to become CEO. So this is where kind of the climbing, the corporate ladder comes in. And those motivators are good. You know, I don't think we should, <laughs> we should look down on them, but the top motivator, the thing that gets the people to increase performance by, you know, 171%, you know, according to research done by Adam Grant is social purpose. So it's contribution. It's like, this is going to make a difference to someone and this is going to make a difference to a societal cause. And so it's so much so that nonprofit employees, they get paid between eight and 40% less, depending on what research you look at. They don't have as many career options because nonprofits tend to be smaller. You know, they're working on equipment that is like 30 years old. Their jobs on paper sound awful. And yet 85% of nonprofit workers that came from the corporate sector, so they only ask those that have done both, say, I'll never go back to the corporate sector. And it's because they're at the top. They're like, my job matters. Now, that's not to say that there are lots of nonprofit workers out there that don't feel that way, because as you know from, <laughs> from all the work that you do, things go wrong in organizations. So you could literally be saving lives, and yet 
the work culture is not very positive and people don't know they are or there's toxicity in the workplace. And so things do get in the way, but there's just no question that social purpose is like that is the cleanest, most powerful fuel that we can run on. Can you define what social purpose is and maybe some examples of how that comes out? Yeah. So social purpose is any contribution to others or to a societal cause. And so some people have a job that has it integrated. So if you're in healthcare and your company is making respirators, then you're like, well, darn, we're saving people's lives. Most of us don't. This is why I wrote the book. Our jobs don't necessarily have a clear social purpose. But the reason I wrote the book is that it turns out that that is not much of a barrier to having a meaningful job. There are people, I have over a hundred examples in my book, as you know, but there are people that are designing surfboards that found social purpose. And there are people that are in parking lots that figured out a way to have social purpose at work. So the surfboard designer thought, well, you know what? what if I put a sensor in the fin of the surfboard and that relayed information to scientists trying to save our oceans? Bingo. Now he's right. <laughs> there you go, right? I mean, it's hard to think of it, but once once you think of it, you're like, well, that makes total sense. The parking lot attendant, his name is Leroy, and he realized, well, I see bald tires and that's really dangerous. And what if I just start alerting owners, you know, I just measure the tires real quickly, you know, it takes them just a few seconds, that if their tires are bald and, you know, he's gotten hugs from single mothers saying, I had no idea that my three-year-old was in an unsafe vehicle. So this is a practice that I've named job purposing. When my dad said, you know, listen beyond the clamor of your own needs. The own, my own needs would be like, you know, I, I want a higher salary. I want like more autonomy. I want this. I want to work on that project or whatever. For the whisper of the world's needs, it's like that surfboard designer and that parking attendant, they heard the whisper, right? It's like, well, there's an opportunity to contribute here by lowering highway fatalities. And there's an opportunity to contribute here by supporting scientists that are trying to save the planet, essentially. So that's social purpose. And that's how it can come into any job through job purposing. The fascinating part of the, especially the parking lot attendant example, I think that there's a lot of people out there that are like, I'm not like contributing to something bigger. It's just a job. They feel like a cog in a wheel, but like that example where, you know, somebody's just sitting in a parking lot, taking tickets, credit cards, that guy could have just done that job, but instead he decided to take it a step further. I mean, there are there jobs all over the place like that parking lot attendant can instill purpose into just any regular basic job. Any job. So I actually, I do this keynote that it's called purpose or pub. And if at the end you can't figure out a way to bring purpose into your job, I'll buy you a beer. And I usually don't have to buy it because there's usually a reception that evening, right? But at the conference. Okay, so I have had to buy four beers, I will admit. So I've had four failures. But when we had the beers, we came up with ideas. They just weren't willing to do it because they had already decided they wanted to leave their jobs, essentially. They were like... 
yeah, I realize that I can job purpose, but for other reasons, I'm already going to leave this job. So it took me 10 years to write this book because I had a couple of hangups, but the biggest one was I need to feel secure when I go out there and say anybody in any job can have meaningful work. And I'm a data nerd. You probably picked that up. Yeah. So I talk my clients, you know, like, you know, FedEx and Toyota, like the clients that I'm helping with their purpose work in the organization. Like, can I test this? Can I make sure that any job? And so I am really secure in that if you are willing to experiment a little and if you are willing to do something slightly unusual, you can infuse your work with purpose. In the book, you were describing how you were given a keynote in Atlanta to about 350 people. And I think you asked them to rate on a scale of one to 10, like their stress level at the, at the time. And then following that, you, you know, they gave their rating and then you had them do something. I think it took five minutes, but you were going to lower their stress levels. Describe to listeners what, what you did. Because I think anybody can do this on a regular basis, if they're feeling down, stressed out, I could do this. Yeah. So uh, actually, your listeners could do it right now. So think of something that takes less than five minutes, less than $5, that is a contribution to someone else. So this could be you go on LinkedIn and you give someone a positive recommendation, or you donate $5 to whoever on Facebook (laughs) is raising money for something. So Before you do it, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate your stress level right now. Now, decide on what you're going to do. What's your five minutes? You can pause this podcast while you do it and then come back. Okay, now you're back. Go back to the rating 1 to 10 and rate your stress level. So I do this literally as part of my keynote. So there were several hundred in Atlanta, and usually it's several hundred. I don't know, with several thousand, I haven't dared do it this like. And what I do next is then, and you can do this now, you know, listener, you can go, okay, so did my stress level go up? Uh, and I have people stand up if it went up. Did it stay the same? I have people st- stand up. Uh, or did it go down? And in every single case, the vast majority, I'm not talking about like 55%, and we're just looking at the number. Everybody's just looking at who's standing, but at least 60% of people, their stress level went down. Now, the only reason I had any courage to do this the first time, and frankly, I did it the first time in a Georgetown University (laughs) classroom with only 30 people, but the only reason I had the confidence to do it is because the research is completely overwhelming on this. So we know that very small acts of social purpose, again, five minutes, $5. There's a book out there called Compassionomics. It finds that it's true even smaller, like one minute, like just listening to someone, just showing empathy. So very small amounts of social purpose basically change our state. Literally, the cortisol, the stress hormone response goes down, oxytocin goes up, dopamine goes up. So we are, as humans, we are so hardwired for contribution that we're super sensitive to it. And when we do it, literally our stress level goes down 
We're happier. We're actually less likely to wake up at 2 a.m. with insomnia. We'll sleep better. Our cardiovascular health improves. So we're less likely to have higher cholesterol, you know, any uh, heart attack, anything like that. We are so much healthier when we do acts of social purpose, like on a semi-regular basis, that we're actually 24% less likely to die in any given year. That's how good it is for our health. And that's why, it's, you know, it's another reason why it's at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of need. Because, you know, getting that promotion is great. Having friends at work is great. And doing something you love is great, but they're not this great. They don't affect us this profoundly. You make it sound like it's almost like exercising. Well, <laughs> it is. <laughs> so there's a, a cardiologist, Alan Rosansky in New York, and he has uh, helped with a whole bunch of research and he's familiar with all the research. And he's basically says that social purpose, acts of contribution, you know, purpose is the most significant health practice now. And so it's better for us than exercise. So you are spot on, Brandon. That's exactly right. And and exercise does all those things for us too. You're right. Do let's do both and we'll be even more healthier. <laughs> there we go. There's a, there's a quote I pulled out that I, I love and I want you to unpack it for me. Uh, you said if your job doesn't improve the world, improve your job. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So if your job doesn't improve the world, you're undermining your health, your performance, your well-being, your happiness. So you owe it to yourself to to job purpose, to improve your job. You know, what's your version of putting the sensor in the fin? And we haven't even talked about the performance benefits. So lots of studies here as well. So 13% higher uh, work satisfaction, 20% higher engagement at work, 24% higher productivity, 40% chances, higher chances of getting a promotion if you are doing social purpose as part of your job. So there's all of those benefits as well. What are some simple ways anybody could instill purpose into their work? You know, every job is different and everybody is moved by different social purposes out there. Again, there's over 100 examples in the book. There's Lyft drivers, there's office managers, etc. What I would say is, first of all, realize that even though it's simple, we're not used to using our brain to like figure out how to contribute through work. So it's not easy. So don't think you're doing it wrong if it's like, I can't figure out how to do what Leroy, the parking lot attendant did. Like, what's my equivalent of checking if the tires are bald? I, I can't find it. I can't find it. You're normal because we have been socialized to think of our to-do list and what you need to do next. And this is, this is a outside of that, but it's not, remember, it's not an unproductive distraction because it will actually make you more productive. So I have... In the book, I have 13 different ways to think of your job to help you get there. So I, I won't go through all of them, but look at the tasks that you're doing. And is there a way to do those tasks that incorporate social purpose? So let's say you're in procurement and you, you're buying stuff all the time. And it's like, well, okay, of course, I can just buy green products. So things that have a zero carbon footprint, I, I can just 
transferred to that. So there might be something about the task that you can upgrade so that it's a social purpose. Another, I'll give you one of another of the 13 tactics is to, can you like advocate for something as part of your job? So I took a lift ride in San Diego once with a driver named Kevin. And when I got out of his vehicle, I was super knowledgeable suddenly about Down syndrome because he told me that he had a daughter with Down syndrome and he made it, he absolutely made it a point to the way he said was if someone is trying to relax or is on on their phone, I won't interrupt them. But if we're going to talk about something, I'm not going to talk about the weather I'm going to use this opportunity to educate them on Down syndrome because the more people that realize that you can hire someone with Down syndrome, that you don't have to be afraid of them, that, you know, how to treat them with dignity, the better my daughter's life will be. So maybe there's a way you can advocate. So like if you have a small office space somewhere, maybe you can use wall space and put art of minority artist in your community. Or maybe you can, if you're going to do a big social media campaign, maybe as part of the social media campaign, you could bring in a nonprofit partner and say, hey, if you, you know, take part in this training or whatever, we'll support this nonprofit. So maybe you can help with awareness. So there's two. And of course, there's another 11. But Oh, the other thing I'll say is there's an exercise, it's also in the book, but that helps people shift their mindset so that job purposing becomes easy. And in in a nutshell, what that exercise is, is set your alarm for a couple of random times a day and then ask when the alarm goes off, you're in the middle of, I don't know, giving a webinar presentation or something, obviously ignore it or driving and it's not safe. But the questions you ask yourself are basically two. It's like, whatever I'm doing right now, I'm on a spreadsheet. Like, is there a way to do this in a way that brings in social purpose? It's a contribution to others or to a societal cause. And you might be on a spreadsheet and you're like, okay, I'm about to do a table with the spreadsheet. And then I'm like, oh, God, I remember that my coworker, Alex, was asking me how to do this. Why don't I just ping them and share screen and I can share with her how to do this. Bingo. Now you're helping someone while you create that table. Or maybe what's on the spreadsheet is where the next meeting is going to be or something. And you're like, oh, okay. So I'm putting that this meeting is going to be, huh, maybe we could do it at a nonprofit. And then people, the nonprofit could educate us on the problem of local homeless population. And we could, instead of giving the money to a meeting, you know, a a hotel, we give what we would have given given for the room, we give it to that nonprofit. So whatever you're doing on the the spreadsheet, like, is there a way to tilt it towards good? The second question you you ask yourself is, uh, the last person I interacted with, how are they doing? And most of the time, we don't even know. I mean, I'm guilty of this because I like go right into agendas. I'm like, we're going to do one, two, three. And and maybe you know, and it's like, oh my God, they're not doing well because both of their cars are in the shop. And why didn't it occur to me to offer 
my e-bike or whatever, you know, like just think, how are they doing? Whoever I last interacted with. If you do that at random times, you know, even if it's three or four times a, a week, job purposing will become much easier. You'll start seeing all those whispers of the world's needs. You wrote that some psychologists say that there's a flaw, one flaw in the thesis that you have about social purpose. What is that? No, there's everything I say is flawless, Brandon. Everything. I love it. I love it. <laughs> you, you misread the book. No, I um so yes. So here's the thing. If our minds are like, I am doing this to help someone else. Like I'm doing this to help you, Brandon. That's why I'm on this podcast. It brings out the best in me. Like literally, I will put in more effort. I will try harder. I will be happier. All those benefits I talked about, right? So that's great. Now, if you read, you know, whatever, the first few chapters of my book and you realize, oh my God, I should show up with an intent to do social purpose because I'm 10% more likely to get a raise and I'm 40% more likely to get a promotion. I'm not really showing up with the intent of social purpose. So those benefits don't happen. Okay, so motivation matters. So it is, I believe the research, and, and it makes sense, right? Because it's like, well, that's not authentic. I'm not authentically doing social purpose. I'm just doing social purpose as a mechanism to helping myself. So that is a drawback. What I will say, though, is that this was one of the hangups in the book, actually. Um, I think we've hit on the two big ones, right? Uh, one, making sure that it's true that everybody in every job can do social purpose or promote social purpose. And this is the second one. Like I thought, well, if I'm trying to get people to job purpose because it's so good for them, then is this not going to work? So I studied this very carefully and I tested it over and over again. So it turns out that social purpose is so compelling, so at such a deep level to us. You can start doing it for whatever reason you want, but you will continue doing it because you want to make a contribution, because that is the biggest hook in us. And in fact, we know this because we know from the volunteering research that the number one reason people like show up at an event to volunteer is because someone asked them to and they, they're afraid to say no. So this has nothing to do with making a contribution. This is like, oh my God, you know, I, I, I don't want to say no. But we also know that the reason they stay longer, the reason they longer than they plan to, or the reason they come back the next time, and most people do actually, is because they are moved by the cause. So don't worry why you start doing it. It's okay to just go like, well, well, dang, I want to be less stressed. I want to sleep better. What the heck? I'll start doing this because your own internal compass will reorient you once you start experiencing the contribution that you're giving to doing it for that. Now, there's one exception, and that is if you're an extreme sociopath. So if you're an extreme sociopath, <laughs> then that won't happen. We talked a lot about the individual and the benefits. I think we get that. Give me some sense for how it's good for organizations. 
Yeah. So the book is written for individuals and and for managers of smaller groups. So for organizations, obviously all those benefits of higher performance, higher engagement, they have an organizational impact. So and we haven't even talked about recruitment and retention, which are huge as well. So we know that for organizations, again, engagement, if people are walking around feeling that their job doesn't have to be the core of the job, the core of the job can be just what it is, you know, it can be internal auditing or something. But if their work week makes societal contributions, has social purpose, their engagement will be higher, their performance will be higher, they'll make fewer mistakes, actually, they'll stay longer. And so one would think that then the company would perform better. And that's exactly correct. So we know that companies that have, there's really great research by uh, Norton at uh, Harvard Business School, uh, Mike Norton, that companies that have a clear purpose that is, you know, lived, you know, it can't just be a plaque out there. That is a social purpose. So the purpose can't be like, we're just going to be number one in our industry or we're going to make our shareholders rich. It has to be a social purpose. That's not a purpose. (laughs) That's not a purpose. That's exactly right. (laughs) That's exactly right. They perform better. So both in terms of accounting uh, returns and in terms of stock returns. And there's a whole bunch of studies showing this now. So it's it's not, I mean, it's all the way down to the bottom line now. The studies that are well done so that they can control for other external things, you know, like whatever, recessions or whatever, they, they pretty much all find that, that if people are working with a sense of social purpose, then the organization performs better. You know, what comes to mind, and this is just recent, um, Patagonia, their profits for the rest of eternity, right? They're, they're going to give it away for a social purpose. And I think when you talk about recruitment and retention, what a game changer. I mean, people who want to do good in the world, like they just go work for Patagonia and they're already fulfilling part of the social purpose. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. So it will help them succeed. It's almost like an unfair advantage, actually, especially if you sell to consumers, then it will also help you in that way. So Patagonia can sell stuff sells a lot of stuff and it's expensive and it seems very unlikely based on the research out there that they would be able to pull that off if it weren't for their social purpose if it weren't because it's like okay i know that this isn't putting plastic in the oceans and i know that this is like as low carbon footprint as they can pull it off there's research out there so for example unilever one of the largest companies in the world UK company, hundreds of brands, they have been systematically uh, moving their brands to having a strong social purpose. So for example, Dove Soap is all about self-esteem. And so they have a big program around that. They use models that, you know, are of all sizes and all have all sorts of non-traditional bodies and all of that. So they're, they're really hoping that everybody can have a good self-esteem. And Those brands where they have brought the social purpose in and woven it through are growing at more than 50% faster than the brands that they haven't gotten to. 
There's another research done by a marketing firm that finds that the social purpose brands have over 200% higher sales. So if you sell, especially to consumers, B2B, it also works, but it's a little bit more complex. The purpose will help you perform better there for sure. B, your book is Do Good at Work, How Simple Acts of Social Purpose Drive Success and Well-Being. It's been a pleasure talking with you about the book. Any like parting thoughts or where can people connect with you? Anything you want to share in closing? Yes. I love hearing from readers or just people who are interested in the concept. If a book is too much for you, and or you know actually i think it's on sale right now for 12 bucks but you know if 15 bucks is is uh, is not something that's in your budget there's a very short version of the book and it's free cuz it's a harvard business review article so you can search for that and if you're trying to convince your supervisor to do some of this, the Harvard Business Review article works wonders for that. I've heard <laughs> it's because uh, it's you know it's Harvard Business Review, so it's like oh well, this can't be that wacky if they publish this. So uh, that article is called uh, "Why Your Values Belong at Work." So if you put something in close to my last name and that in Google, that should come right up. So that's a resource for people. Also, my webpage, Do Good at Work. Dot com has all sorts of resources to help you ignite your own job with purpose. And one of them is a purpose generator. So you can go in there and answer a few questions about your job and it will give you an idea for how you can job purpose at whatever job you have right now. So it's free. Feel free to use that as well. So do good at work.com. My guest today has been B. Bocalandro. B, thanks for coming on the podcast. Appreciate you. Love the conversation, Brandon. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.